from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, July 15th, 2016, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by a new sponsor I'm excited about, Israel. The, the country of Israel is sponsoring the show this week. If you've been thinking about your next travel adventure, the Israel Ministry of Tourism is inviting you to experience Israel for yourself. Wow. It seems like a pretty big... I thought yeah. Squarespace was like a very big deal. Yeah. And now, now we have countries. Now we have all of Israel endorsing the show. It's pretty Thank cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I feel very uh, touched. I, Man, I would love to go to Israel. Well, you can go to a website, Israel.travel, and it, it will give you all the info you need to explore Israel. Israel is crazy. I've been there three, four times in the last few years, mm-hmm. and it is such like no matter what kind of experience you want to have mm-hmm. you can have it so if you want like modern cosmopolitan miami beach luxury condo type thing yeah trendy young you go to tel aviv that's right if you want like to walk in the footsteps of jesus and like it feel like it felt then right. you go up to galilee yeah. if you want to like do kind of archaeological tourism you go to jerusalem I mean, oh, like, no. you want to go out and, like, hang out in the desert with the Bedouins, you can. What, what? If, what if you just want to, like, watch some Netflix and just uh, just have some quiet? Well, then you'd go down to the Dead Sea. Oh. And you would, you would like, you would lather up with the mud. You'd be, it's like the, the lowest point on Earth. You do the spa thing. Yeah. Then you go back to your little room, and you'd just be all relaxed. You'd have the robe on. Wow. Yeah, whatever you want. Israel's got it. Israel.travel. Israel.travel. Go check it out. And, and the other thing about Israel, you'll discover amazing food. Some of the oh, best yeah. food because you got that like hummus and the Mediterranean like Lebanese influences oh, yeah. and like Turkey and like it's just it, the food is unbelievable in Israel. I'm I'm in. Yeah, dot Is, travel. Israel dot travel. Go check it out. Uh, Israel, the land where anything is possible. Go to Israel dot travel and discover the side of Israel you've never seen. There you go. Literally anything is possible. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot happened in Israel. It's all all happening. <laughs> you know there. what though? It's like easy to travel to. It's cheaper yeah. than you think. It's it's easy to get in and out. I mean, it's safe. It's it's a really great experience. Joy, are you have you ever been to Israel? I have, and I'm actually going in a month. Really? really? Yeah. Oh, did you uh, go over to Israel.travel to do your itinerary? Yeah, I'll book it all through there now that I know about it. Well, take, take pictures. <laughs> just, just, a couple. Sure. just a couple. People tend to do that. Yeah. You know, do, I don't know what to say. Bring us yeah. back something. Hey, it's I'm like just sitting little, here uh, under an olive tree. Just thinking. Yeah, bring back an olive. Feels <laughs> like, like it won't make I, it. But <laughs> when I did that, I uh, so down by Galley, there, it's known, that area is known for dates. So I got a couple phone numbers while I was down there. I'm I, I, uh, I, I came back and brought dates uh, to people. Yeah. And then uh, when I was up uh, in the northern region, they have great olives. And so I, I brought back some olive oil from Israel. It's really delightful. Visited a vineyard. A winery. So, Joy, maybe some dates or olive oil. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want to tell you what to get me. I you, actually, your, I, you, yeah. you know what, Eddie? I'll just send you what I got. I went in 2006, I think it was. <laughs> and this was totally like just a commercialized thing, but I fell for it. I bought a bottle of rosé from oh. where Jesus turned water into wine. 
and I oh. still have it. I was going to have it at the wedding, and then I forgot about it. I've been holding on to it for so long. So how have you been? St- well, have now you, you got to have it on your first anniversary with that piece of cake. Exactly. Except for have we didn't been, have cake, but we will do yeah. that. Have you been storing it? Uh, storing in a properly? cool dark place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like on its side with the cork moisturized. I, I should have done that. It was always sitting oh. on top of my fridge as like a one day you will get married. You might <laughs> might want to toss that out. Yeah, you've because in, in your case Jesus turned water into rubbing alcohol. I'm not gonna want to drink that. Uh, it actually, uh, it actually is in the fridge right now because I was like, we have got to drink this, so I will drink it before we go to Israel and let you guys know how it is. Um, Good luck. Like I said, I'm your host Cameron, and today we have a very unique show. I'll get into that in a minute. But here with me, Eddie Big Cat Coffolds. It is nice to see you, Cameron. Nice on to the, be across the table from on, you on the Skype line from Portland, Oregon. Joy Egerich Reed, present, and uh, not on a mic today. Uh, our producer Chandler Strang. I'm here. I'm there. He goes. Okay, so so I didn't say from our Orlando studios because the Orlando yeah. studios uh, had the internet cut out on it yeah. today. But but not like not cut out like in like in the literal sense. There was a wire hanging. Yeah, literally the the wire that brings the internet into the building was severed. So it was not a quick fix. So we packed up as much gear as we could and came to my house. And so we are podcasting from a makeshift breakfast table studio today. Um, it's j- lovely here. A uh, nice cup of coffee. Jesse, Jesse is on vacation. Another weird thing about this week huh. because uh, he needed time and space to recuperate from Trapped in the Cage, which he did last week. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we'll get more into Trapped in the Cage with him. But people that were watching it online, I think w- what they didn't really appreciate yeah. was the depth of depravity in him because <laughs> I'm even watching it online. I'm like, wow, everybody looks kind of tired, but you know, Jess is standing up. And then I saw him in person and it was, I mean, like no joke. It was like a really, really awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, this dude did something for charity water. Like this was an actual feat of strength. Uh, people, if you uh, don't know what it was last, yeah. w- last week, we recorded our 500th episode of this podcast live. Yeah. So we kind of made it to 500 and then everything fell apart. I, do. This week. I think it's really funny. Yeah. How, like last week was real a technological achievement for us. Yeah. <laughs> and 501, we're back at your table and 50, 50, if this thing's recording. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, um, Chandler. So, uh, uh, so, so last week we did that, and then right after the live show, Jesse wanted to do another psychological endurance challenge to raise money for Charity Water. Last year, he listened to Nickelback for uh, seven days straight, nonstop, raised thirty-five grand over those seven days. And then this this year, he decided to go trapped in the cage, and he watched twenty-four straight hours of Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, and and Scott Harrison was on the show last week, and he gave he suggested to Jesse putting out there an audacious goal yeah. of raising $24,000 in 24 hours. Which, when we recorded last week, it was like not... It was like in the under 10000 It was five. Yeah. yeah and was I was 5, like, 000. wow, that's still a lot of money. Well, but five... Well, I, Jesse and I both thought... You know, the thing about the Nickelback Challenge last year was over the course of the week, mm-hmm. awareness built. Right. Our, our fear was that we kind of didn't ramp up to trapped in the cage well enough yeah. and that nobody would know about it. Right. It would come and go and that that $5,000 that we raised at the beginning of it was kind of where we would end up. Right. That's what we both thought. Right. You we guys could still be a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of wells. All it makes sense. It'd be half of a well, half of a well. Well, <laughs> not as, not as it's 10, th- th- a pipe. Bit, it would just be big. a pipe in the ground. You're not that big a deal. Then, huh? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, we didn't know what would happen and 
we live streamed this feat from 4 p.m. last Friday to 4 p.m. on Saturday. And you guys voted on the lineup and uh, some people came to the studio and watched with us and stuff. And uh, we live streamed the whole thing. And so we live streamed it on YouTube and we also live streamed it on Facebook Live. And it was the LaBeouf cam. It was just Jesse, <laughs> Jesse sitting there. And you guys, I mean, it, it were interacting with us and, and, and it took off. And twenty eight more than $28,000 was raised in that 24 hours. It's like an incredible amount of money. Yeah. yeah. And by the time it's all said and done, it'll probably cross 30, which is three full wells. I mean, a thousand people's lives will be forever changed with uh, clean water, which yeah. is amazing. I tuned in for about 30 seconds and I was like, oh, you poor, poor souls. Yeah. <laughs> While that is all very, very noble, poor Jess still did not look very good. He didn't. I, I was there with him the entire time and we had friends with us. Uh, uh, like Chandler stayed for the first four movies, give or take seven hours. Seven he was there hours Chandler. and uh, Jeremiah was there and several people. And then there was another wave of people came like Eric uh, came who works with us. We had some f- podcast friends who were yeah. there. Uh, everybody left around four o'clock in the morning because I mean, even like four o'clock is like, okay, we just really tied one on. Well, we, we, yeah, we ended face off and, and the room cleared. Like everybody was (laughs) like, I'm going to stay through face off. You you can't possibly, because if you watch another movie, God forbid, it's even remotely close to face off. Yeah. You are now watching a Nicolas Cage movie in the early morning. Yeah. As opposed to a really good late night. Yeah. So scary. So yeah, everybody me- leaves and then it's just me and Jesse mm. and I hit a hard wall around five thirty, like a hard wall. A hard if somebody wall. tuned in, tuned in around five thirty, um, they would see me having very long blinks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like very long blinks. I don't think I actually faded, but I was on yeah. the cusp. There are whole moments that are more like snapshots in your mind rather than like a video. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so like I hit that, that wall. level of fatigue where you just all of a sudden start to feel like you're going to throw up. Uh, I feel sick. I'm so tired. <laughs> so, so, but but what kept me up until five thirty? After the four o'clock, people left. Was the Facebook interactions, Facebook Live? I couldn't believe how many people were on that. Yeah, I mean, hundreds at any given time were on Facebook, and hundreds more were watching on YouTube. The unfortunate thing is, we had two devices going. We couldn't see the YouTube interactions. People were commenting. We couldn't see it. Oh, but we could see the Facebook ones. So we kept telling people, like, go over to Facebook and t- if you want to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Well, the people around four o'clock, they had been with us for quite a while at that point. They yeah. were syncing up the movies or watching with us from all over the world. I mean, we had people tuning in from Denmark and I mean everywhere. Uh, Asia. And so we had like other time zones. So they were like well into their Saturday, you know, they were yeah, in it with us. It's wild. And so they were keeping us up. Um, I, uh, we were a little uh, loopy at that point. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I thought it would be really, really funny to, uh, I saw Chandler pop back in on the feed uh, and he doesn't have a mic, so we can't tell no, his Chandler version of this story. Chandler had just come back, I'm sure from DJing some sort of club. <laughs> no, he didn't DJ then. He was with us. He said he oh, was with yes, us yes, and yes. then he drove up to his house and for some reason got back online. I thought he'd go to bed. Well, so he, he just pop- missed you guys. He felt overwhelmed. so he yeah. checks in and we're like, oh, look. And so Jesse and I are verbally talking to the comments that are popping up, you know, because right. they can hear us. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, look, there's Chandler. Why is he up still? And then all the girls were like, hey, Channing, whatever. <laughs> and I and so I decided to is <laughs> the ultimate big brother move. Yeah, I teased the idea to the ladies yeah. of giving out a cell phone number Hello. so they could t- 
take the conversation offline. Oh, and, uh, and a couple of them, oh, wow. a couple of them kind of blushed. And, uh, yes, and yes. I, I then for some reason gave out his cell phone number. You did. Yes. And oh, yes. then every five minutes or so people, I mean, cause people were like, this is his real cell phone number. Yeah. Uh, they started like reposting it. Like oh, for people no. going like, yeah. I missed it. Where's his number? Yeah. Somebody had saved it and would post it again. Yeah. I asked the next day, Hey, does anybody have Channing's number? And people just started Boom. putting it up on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. So he's so girls, I'm literal actual podcast listener. Females were texting my brother at four or five in the morning. It's pretty amazing. I'm no, going to pass you, the mic to you. Yeah. I'm going to give a pass the mic to him. So he can give Channing, tell I, us what happened on his end. Well, he's going to just answer some questions first. Channing, question yeah. number one: Did you actually speak to a woman who you may follow up with or have talked to twice? Um, well, we I, I did get into a few conversations about Pokemon oh. Go. Oh my! Well, yeah. well. That's where it was. Um, and anything else? That no. Mo, mo, it was mostly just people uh, apologizing. For on behalf of yeah, like the right. your brother, I'm, I'm to sorry you. that you have to uh, deal with this. You're yeah. a great sport, but is there going to be any follow up? Is there any like? Uh, I don't think so. Why? Uh, I, I mean, it just maybe they're didn't waiting there. for you yeah. to follow up. Oh, like just, Joy brought up a good point. She said maybe she's waiting for you to follow up. It's yeah, possible. Well, all I'm saying is, as you're listening to this, feel free to put his number back up, tweet it, whatever you need to do, and he's going to keep taking calls until we find him the right one. The, uh, there, Tell there some was, of the girls what Pokemon gym you're going to be at, and then meet him there. <laughs> there was there was one one uh, particular young lady who I had seen on Twitter interact with the podcast over the last it's, few years, and it's funny. I don't want to embarrass her, but I know who yeah who it is. Uh, and her first name is Jess, and so well, everybody started talking about uh, Janning Jan. Jess and Channing. And so they were they, they came up with their own hashtag and stuff in the middle of the night. Uh, that kept me up until about five thirty, and then all those people went to bed. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, then it's just me and Jesse alone watching some weird M Night Shyamalan ripoff called yeah. Knowing. <laughs> it was really slow and dark, and yeah. the room was dark, and we were hitting a hard wall. I don't wall. know how he didn't fall asleep. Well, when I started fading, he saw that and like it amped him up. Yeah. Like he got and so he started engaging people on Facebook more yeah. and I, I kind of faded to the background. Yeah. And then I went uh, maybe an hour, maybe about 730. I was like, I have got to rally. And so I went for a walk around the building. Yeah. And uh, came back in and and then around then uh, podcast friends started showing up in the studio with us again. So then now I'm resuscitated. Yeah. And then he starts to fade. Yeah. So around maybe like 11 a.m. on Saturday, Jesse hits a wall like nobody's business. Yeah, real like hard. it's a brick wall. Real bad. Yeah. And so he's standing pretty much from 11 until 4 p.m. Yeah. He had to stand and whatever. And I'm like totally great at this point because it's daytime again. And yeah. People are there with us and yeah. you showed up for a solid 20 minutes. I thought that was a lovely contribution. <laughs> I was there for 20 minutes and then I just could not be bothered with this. Anymore. Yeah. I had to get out of here. It's too long. And, and Jesse will tell you what he went through last week. But like, w- you know, he comes back or we come back to the house around 4:10. I mean, it was like 4 We were in yeah. the middle of a movie. I shut it down. I was like, bye, everyone gone. We unplugged, right? This is no joke. And uh, we come back to the house and Jesse's kind of like he's flying out early the next morning and he's just like like, but he's such a kind person. You know, I could tell he felt obligated. Yeah, like do you want to go to dinner now? Like, you know, and I'm like, dude, I just want to lay down and he's like, yeah, me too. And we both fell asleep about 430 and didn't wake up until the next day. Yeah, (laughs) uh, but the, the great thing 
Uh, well, he'll tell you what he went through. He'll tell you what he went through. Yeah, it was really something. I, and it, is, it reminded me that I usually only see Jesse in crazy moments for him. That's so true. it's like, we're about to MC a wedding. Well, Joy's wedding. And he's kind of freaking out. Yeah. Or he just finished some endurance challenge. Or we're going to go on stage, by the way, a year ago today. We're about to go on stage at the live event. You yeah. Know, and he's just wigging out. And so this was just par for the course. But when I saw him at the, like, close to the end of it, he's like, Man, seriously, like uh, between us, like I, I got to get up early and get a flight tomorrow, and then we're on we're on family vacation. I'm just like, whew, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle this. I'm like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the, the, we texted. He and I didn't communicate until about 36 hours later, yeah. and then he texted me and it just checking in, how you feeling? And I couldn't shake it. But uh, number one, I will never see another Nicolas Cage movie in my life. <laughs> I, I mean, there, I have no. no desire. Number two, I felt like like I had. I don't know if you've ever been, I don't know what a situation would be, maybe like a missions trip or, or, or like some youth group event or something where you have this highly concentrated amount of time with somebody that after you just don't really like them though. You know what I mean? But you're like with them nonstop. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt about Nicholas Cage days later. Yeah. Like I was annoyed by the man. Yeah. Nicholas Cage. It I is. never wanted to see him again. Yeah. You know Do what you I mean? That, like, you have that big cardboard cutout in the office. Do you have a little PTSD when you walk by him? I'm telling you, all the kitsch, <laughs> Nicolas Cage, kind of like ironic humor thing, completely over it. Yeah, if if anything was going to break the Nicolas Cage joke or, or just put a nice period at the end of yeah. the joke, yeah. it was this event. I'm ready to wipe the office clean of any reference to Nicolas Be Cage. Because God forbid you kind of ramp up these jokes again and yeah. kind of in another 10 years you got to do this. That's too soon. <laughs> you got to find it. We, got, we have to organically allow a whole new thing yeah, to happen to. because Nick Cage just has to really go in his... Just, it's He's dead to me. Yeah, he needs <laughs> to just live out his days in his strange temple thing that he yeah. has built and yeah, yeah the man of Nicolas Cage like I never want to see him again like I like in any in any shape or form yeah your heart has broken up with him oh absolutely I've moved on <laughs> and I think he's fine with that yeah I, I think I, he is I don't normally speak for him but I think I can <laughs> where he will say you know what Go ahead. <laughs> now, I will say this. We talked to Jesse this morning uh, before the uh, internet fell apart on yeah. us, and he did allude to the fact that he has an idea for next year's yeah. psychological endurance challenge, mm -hmm. so you'll have to get that out of him next week. I think it's hilarious that he's already... One, he would be willing. <laughs> Two, he, he, yeah. Well, he said in the middle of this, like he and we were in the middle of the marathon, and he goes, "You know, I, I'm re I've resigned myself to the fact that this is now my thing." Yeah, he's like every his. year he has to do a stunt for charity water. Is <laughs> once a year he's going to raise resigned. money. <laughs> yeah, he's he did. He just resigned <laughs> himself to it. Some people give blood. Yeah, I do physical challenges. <laughs> I would like to do an anti-stunt, like the complete opposite <laughs> of like. Give me thirty thousand for IJM, and I will unblock you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's a, it is a it is a not use of my time. It is just nothing. Well, you need to go through and just just start blocking people, and yeah. then offer that. <laughs> like just you need you, yes, an unblock that's a good idea. for every, every hundred dollars you give to IJM, I will unblock you. I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You should do that. <laughs> what That's a good. completely you heard it here first. What a completely contrary, strange fundraiser <laughs> that IJM would totally distance themselves from. Like, hey, why are you being rude? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a great show in store for you today. Despite the unusual circumstances, uh, you will hear Jesse's voice because we have two interviews that he did. Some phenomenal ones. Thank you. Um, coming up later, uh, Jesse's conversation with culture critic and author Chuck Klosterman. Can't wait. Is on the show. I can't wait. Um, to hear that. Cannot wait. It's phenomenal. There's a, a part of that conversation 
conversation appears in a, a feature in the new issue of Relevant, but it was a 45-minute conversation, so you're going to get some exclusive stuff here on the show today. Cool. Uh, we also talked to activist and author Lisa Sharon Harper. Uh, she has a new book, The Very Good Gospel, um, but we talked to her about gaining a new understanding of biblical justice, which is okay. great. It's a fascinating conversation. So stay tuned for that. But first, our weekly look back at what happened this week in culture and entertainment. It's time for In Case You Missed It. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, this week, did you see uh, Janelle Monet, Chance the Rapper, Beyonce, Rihanna, Pharrell, Common, Bono, and other stars uh, released a, a video called 23 Ways You Could Be Killed If You Are Black in America? I haven't, I, I've only seen it come up in a feed. I haven't watched it yet. Is it pretty powerful? Oh, I, 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 I'll play a clip here in a second. But each celebrity reads the circumstances in which an African American was killed during a confrontation with police or while in police mm. custody. Yikes. Uh, here, here's a clip. Failing to signal a lane change. Riding in your girlfriend's car with a child in the back. Running to the bathroom in your own apartment. My goodness. Yeah, it, it made the rounds this week. And if you haven't seen the full thing, we'll post it on the podcast episode mm-hmm. page. It's it's incredibly powerful. By the way, I think we'll start doing that now. All these, in case you missed it, clips and things, we'll, we'll post the full things in the bonus uh, features oh, that'll be nice. on the podcast So you can kind of like page. have the website open while you're listening to the show and kind of <laughs> yeah, follow along. Just follow along. That'd be nice. <laughs> um, let's see. In case you missed it, uh, this week, Dan Harmon, the, uh, the show creator of Community, Um, if you ever, if you remember, they, they, they started, uh, saying six seasons in a movie. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, after the fifth season, it became difficult, but they got that sixth season on Yahoo. Well, this week, Dan Harmon said a movie is coming. He was, uh, interviewed by Larry King, who apparently is still alive. Dan Harmon. And has a web show (laughs) now. Uh, Step up from CNN. You know, has his little web show. Yeah, it's just... Um, Well, Dan Dan Harmon told him that a movie will, quote, will happen. It's just a matter of getting the cast back together, which... Yeah, I have two things I'd like to say. One regarding community. I I think it's fine. I think it's pretty funny. I don't have... I know it has like a cult following, but doesn't it a little bit feel like just let it die? It had a good run, but like Go it was out canceled. On a high note. It was just it keeps everybody. The story with Community is never like, oh, such a good episode. Did you see? The story is always, and we're bringing it back in yet another form. <laughs> like I always feel like Community just has to be let go. And the second thing is, have you ever heard about how Larry King tweets? Because you know he has like a really active Twitter. He's, no, he sits yeah. down with his assistant in the morning uh-huh. and just talks. He just talks and tweets and like he'll do like my two cents or whatever it is that just I forget what he says, but he just sits down with his assistant and just says a bunch of stuff. Macaroni and cheese is the <laughs> best food. That. What? And then this assistant's job <laughs> is to tweet all his junk out all day. See, that's so interesting to know because I would see, I'm like, this is officially his Twitter yes. account, but his tweets were so kind of out of characteristic. Now, for who I envisioned him to be sitting there tweeting, yeah. but that's he said amazing. that he has never typed on any of this stuff. He doesn't even know how to log on <laughs> to Twitter, but he knows he needs it. So he just talks out loud and somebody tweets for him. <laughs> and I'm like, actually, that's kind of amazing. That, I, I, there's, but that's why it's so random. If you've ever looked at his Twitter, it is highly entertaining. So but there's random. a half a dozen uh, Twitter accounts that do that with you. Koffelt's quotes. No, I know. Jesse Carey quotes. Yeah, but those are actually things I've said that I don't remember that are like, oh, why would I ever? Like, like yeah. I will, I've already said something in this show that will come back to <laughs> haunt me, and it should. I'm the idiot that said it, you know. 
but yeah, that that's that's so amazing. community. Oh, good. All right. So yeah, okay. So think about uh, all the stars of. I, I don't know that it's possible because uh, Joel McHale is starring in an upcoming sitcom on CBS called The Great Indoors. Uh, Jillian Jacobs is on Netflix's Love. Donald Glover's in Atlanta, which looks amazing. Uh, Ken Jong is in Doctor Ken. Jonathan Banks is in Better Call Saul. Yvette Nicole Brown is in The Odd Couple. I mean, they all have careers. It was, it was a star they maker kind of show. Yeah. It, in and of itself, I don't think held the weight that those stars do it yeah. individually. But I wonder, I mean, I wonder if it'll be like one of the like Yahoo Entertainment movies or something. I wonder yeah, if it'll be like probably. a, certainly it won't be like a theatrical release. I don't know. That's no what he's way. trying for. I, who knows? Yeah. It, but you're right. It is a star maker because like if you look at other shows that actually were, in my opinion, funnier, like The Office. I mean, those those actors haven't done anything. A few breakouts, but not really. Yeah. I yeah. mean. Wait, so that's actually like a rule? Six seasons and then you get a movie? No, like, that was what they were going for when like they were always lowly rated. And so they were always like they would get their, their fan support to do like hashtag six seasons in a movie to like, you know, convince uh, the network to renew them and that kind of thing. It became like an inside joke for them. Well, they got their six seasons. Gotcha. They just haven't done the movie. So uh, Dan Herman is trying to make it happen. In case you missed it uh, this week, a stirring new trailer uh, was released for the long delayed Hillsong movie. It's called Let Hope Rise. Here is a clip. I don't know what God has used a little youth band from a church in the outer suburbs of Sydney, but for some reason, he's given us this opportunity. When I started a church, I wanted to have a church that wrote songs that influenced the way people worship. There was this underground movement. We'd do these events, and there'd be thousands turning up. In the end, our success is not about us. It's ultimately about God. When you take him out of the equation, you've got nothing. The, uh, the film's directed by Michael John Warren, the uh, filmmaker behind Jay-Z's documentary Fade to Black. And remember, they were on our cover. Hillsong United was on our cover like a year and a half ago. Yeah, didn't we already do this? No, yeah. The film, they were on our cover because that was when the film was coming out. And then it got delayed and delayed. And then the studio went bankrupt. And then uh, who owned the movie was in dispute. And now it's finally seeing the light of day. Um, but you know... Uh, I saw a trailer for it in a movie. Yeah, I did theater. too, like two years ago. You know who's in it though now. Yeah. It's all the people from Community. That's how, they, <laughs> that's how they finally got the whole thing off the ground. Well, well, green you know, screen. It's, yeah, it's Joel McHale standing up there with old What's-His-Face with the hat singing the songs. <laughs> so, uh, Sorry, these are your friends. I forget have, his name. Have you guys heard that Joel McHale was a Young Life leader? Is that true? Yeah, uh, I hope so. There is a... Young Life is the best. Kind of behind the scenes, uh, some Christian friends I have in Hollywood have let me know that he's, he's a believer. Yeah. He just doesn't want that to be said publicly, so I'm outing him. But oh well, good for like him. Like he's in a Bible study with some other guys. And, yeah, yeah. But the, he he seems like a young life leader. Have you ever met a young life leader? Yeah. Well, it's all, at young life. Yeah, they're all. Oh, you went to young life? <laughs> I went to the Malibu camp up in uh, oh. like two summers ago with Cohen. Did you? Yeah, I don't know that I knew that. Up in British Columbia, Man, Bob Goff's like, place. Oh yeah, we went, yeah. We, we we he had a big thing and we took oh, over yeah. the whole Malibu camp, but yeah. it was the actual staff. Man, so young life is the greatest, and young life leaders are just like nice gonna get to know you kind of people i was uh i was in seattle <laughs> yesterday and yes. i was at the uh hotel bar waiting for my flight and i had a chicken quesadilla and nice uh, just, choice just sitting there how were they with the sides because that's what's always <laughs> I, about I get three sides uh salsa sour cream and, and guacamole yeah that's see that's what's generous but i hate when they give you the little was it the little those, tiny salsa yeah, those little black cups yeah i, I ran out i ran out bite. of salsa really fast anyway i'm sitting there the bartender goes uh excuse me do you run relevant 
And uh, I was like, yeah. And he goes, uh, I, I, I was up at the Malibu camp. He was one of the Young Life leaders. Is so the point of my story. I, was one, I was like two hours outside of Portland, like in a really random small town. I don't even know what the town was, but they had a Starbucks and we stopped to get coffee. And all of a sudden the uh, barista looks at me. He's like, are you Joy from Relevant? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, I okay. am. It was so So random. here was the weird... Small Th- that never happens to me. Really? Rare, I mean, very rarely, you know. But like a couple weeks ago, I was somewhere. Then I leave and someone tweeted, hey, I just saw you at this place you were at. Yeah. I would, wanted to come say hello, <laughs> but I didn't want to bother you. And I'm like, first of all, like... It doesn't bother anyone because I've like never had you never. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's not, not like, like we're walking around and we're yeah. like Tony Danza here and everybody yeah. wants to meet us and take a picture <laughs> with us, right? We're like, we're like I, I think I know our pantheon of yeah. like stardom, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> pretty low. Um, lower than Tony Danza. Way lower. Okay, can I tell you about Tony Danza in college when Wikipedia was a lot easier to edit? I was I was I was on Tony Danza's webs on Wikipedia for months. Like I put that I was his like brother. No, and they and it didn't have. <laughs> what's the what's the fascination with Tony Danza? He just I don't have like a it's not like a deep held fascination, but he's kind of my go to celebrity that I feel like you know that like that's a good dude. I have an idea for your IJM psychological endurance challenge. <laughs> uh, who's the boss marathon? <laughs> oh gosh, that is a bad that, show. That would not be a struggle for you. <laughs> yeah, that right. would not be a struggle. <laughs> who's the boss? That's really just watching my yeah. brother. Just another episode of my Me and T. Dan's. <laughs> I love Tony Danza. He is a good guy. Well, anyhow, continue on with the actual <laughs> podcast. Uh, in case you missed it this week. Oh, boy. There's um, a, a little video game that came out called Pokemon Go, and uh, it's yeah. so popular yeah. that it may soon pass Twitter in active users. Which is insane. Yeah, and it's only available in three countries, the U.S., Australia, and New Zealand. It's already uh, surpassed Tinder and installs, so that's good. Uh, squashing the hookup culture. Uh, bummer. Right? <laughs> Channing. But, Channing. It's a, but it's, a new, it's a new way of connecting yeah. people. Like literally last night I was reading, like, Jesse told me I couldn't use this because it was in, in case you missed it, but I had looked up this article. Um, and so I was like, okay, I want to see what's going on. First of all, we downloaded it and it was like, we couldn't, they were like, sorry, the server's overloaded. Yeah, me too. So I kept refreshing, refreshing. Yeah, me but- too. I haven't been able to sign up an account. Every time I go, I get that error. I'm going to tell you the entire, my entire Pokemon Go moment. Well, she's in the middle of a story. No, 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 no. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. Do it. She's, uh, no. she's laying her sacrifice. I'm just, Jesse's not here right now, and so I feel like I got to do my job. <laughs> please finish. No, no I was go. rude. <laughs> I was rude. I made a mistake. Please. Well, okay. So, so I'm watching Fallon, right? And here's what I'm doing is I'm watching Jimmy Fallon, and I download Pokemon Go, and uh, so I download it log in, kill the first guy that's like in my living room. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I see that I got to like, I'm like, oh, I see you got to walk around the neighborhood and deleted the app. Like, <laughs> like, oh, I get it. No, I don't want to walk. There's, around. there's children milling around the park in front of my house. And it's because you inform me that yeah. it's uh, that it's a hot spot. You got a couple of them here. Yeah, I want I want Pokemon sofa. That's the version I want. Did you hear Fallon's story about Pokemon Go? No, I was watching the Tonight show uh, the other night and he said he downloaded it, whatever. And he said you can put I've never not played it, but he said you can put lures to lure the Pokemon. Oh. So he said he was oh, in front of his apartment and he put a lure there because he wanted to get more Pokemon for his own <laughs> score, right? And uh, and he said he was in the elevator making small talk with his neighbor and, and she they got talking about Pokemon Go and she goes, 
she goes, there are hundreds of kids outside our apartment building. And it's because Fallon had been putting lures outside the apartment building <gasps> and he'd been luring people to his apartment. Oh, so... It, it lures real people. Other people oh, like are attracted know, to the lures too. I didn't know it was all connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Hold on, Channing. We can't hear you. I, I think you need Chan. Chan you needs to talk because he knows all about the second Pokemon tell. On Pokemon Go, yeah, you can see there's a bunch of hearts that will be coming from a specific area, and that's when someone because you have to pay for a lure, like to lure or whatever. Like you actually have to pay real money, so it's kind of like a uh, special. Oh, thing. so Jimmy Fallon is like so no like big he, deal. He's he, paying for yeah, it. Yeah, so like he would have. It, it would be like rare Pokemon are around where there's a lot of hearts. So that's people see that on the map and you just like kind of go toward it. First not, of all, not knowing what it is. Okay. So is there a way outside of having a lot of money to um, get more Pokemon or do you just literally have to keep walking and walking? Um, yeah, you don't, you don't have to pay for anything. It, de- it definitely makes it easier if you, if you have money, but you, you have to just go to the Pokestops, get more Pokeballs yeah. and then walk around a bunch. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then so catch that's what happened if you last night. Literally, I kept refreshing it. I'm in bed. Yeah. Like, oh, see, that's the thing. And you, it's you 1130. Gotta what? You got to move. It's, it's, oh. it's, yeah. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. But this was like 1130. It finally uploaded. Like, I finally made my character, whatever. Right. And then there was one in our room, and it, it was like instant addiction. Matt and I got dressed, <laughs> went out at 1130 <laughs> at night, and walked all over our neighborhood. And at midnight, yeah. midnight, we're walking by, and we're all of a sudden, the music is on. I hadn't figured out how to turn the music off yet. And um, we see like a, a man, a grown man, like 10 feet away from us. And I'm trying to turn down the volume because he's just like standing there. And then all of a sudden we are walking by him and I'm embarrassed. And he just goes, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, uh, is this your gym? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He was waiting for yeah. us. It was bizarre. That's hilarious. I, I, last yeah. night I actually went to, there's two polka stops near my house. Oh. And I was out of Pokeballs. So I drove to both of them. Oh, Cameron, can you please yeah. turn Channing off? This yeah. is just as nerdy a thing as I can ever. So what can, level, ask him what level he's on. I'm uh, only on Joy wants to know two. what level you're on and I would like to answer. Uh, uh, oh, nerd. He said seven. All right. Well, two things. Uh, number one, one. I was, I was walking down the street in Seattle yesterday and a bar was trying to lure people inside by saying that we're a Pokestop. Come on in. Oh, there's a, I'm like, if, if liquor isn't going to draw you in. Yeah. Po- Pokemon, they're yeah. trying to get. There's you in churches, there. there's yeah, a church. and the, and the, the slice is, it, or this, in case you missed it, is Washington Post did a story yeah. this week about the Pokemon church phenomenon, and this is what it said: Pokemon Go is the latest technological advance to have a significant impact on church. Every time, every church I've driven past uh, since downloading the game has been a Pokestop, a location in the game where players can stock up on the Pokeballs used to capture the creatures. Other churches serve as gyms where players battle their best Pokemon. Many pastors and leaders are now trying to find the best way to connect with the players sitting on their doorsteps. Churches are using their signs um, to welcome local gamers inside. They're offering players free snacks, invitations into their services when they find the Pokemon. I mean, it's outreach. Yeah. And I can, no, I can attest this because literally I went to three Pokestops last night and one was Multnomah University, which is a seminary. Yeah. The second was a church and the third was a cemetery. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. Okay. I want to just put a mental marker in this conversation yeah. because this is one of these conversations that 10 years from now, people will quote and say like, like we hear it when yeah. we're like, remember when you guys were like all like freaking out because an iPhone existed, yeah. this will be one of those conversations. <laughs> I do feel like this is like a technological moment, whether yeah. it's Pokemon or just these augmented reality, like our life is the game. Well, like the movie, the game with Michael Douglas. We're going to look back at the fact that we had to look at a phone screen to see it and laugh at how archaic and crude this was considering, you know, in a decade, it'll be like in our glasses and it'll just be part of our actual reality (laughs) and stuff. 
and the chip. Well, it's so funny because even like a week ago, someone on Twitter was like, hey, Joy, this should totally be your slice. And it was about Pokemon Go. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. What is this? is nothing. Nintendo's <laughs> and this week, I'm like, it's everywhere. Good for Nintendo, though. They yeah. like have like, I forget yeah. what the number is, but it was... It's insane. They're just a huge business again. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The uh, I'm looking at it says that uh, it surpassed Facebook (laughs) for time uh, spent by the by the users. It is crazy. And they're figuring out quickly how to monetize it. And okay, if you don't know all, you know, after all that, if you still aren't sure why people care, here's a clip of Stephen Colbert explaining Pokemon Go. For those of you who don't know this new thing, it's a video game where you walk around uh, and you look at your phone, which is using its camera, and you look at your phone, and in the real world, you see little Pokemon, like this fella sitting on a rock in Central Park. And it has revolutionized the way people almost get hit by cars staring at their phones. Um, it's uh, based on a true story. Based on a true story. It's called uh, augmented reality, because right now, anything is better than actual reality. Uh, now, as John was saying, that's true. That's true. Now, as John was saying, you have to be walking to use the app, meaning developers have now done the impossible, designed a game that you cannot play on the toilet. <laughs> While Pokemon Go is getting people excited, it is also causing some users to complain about fatigue and sore legs. Okay, Pokemon players, do not be alarmed. That is a symptom of a condition known as walking. And it is curable. It is curable. So there you go. There you go. That's, that's, that's what you need to know. Okay, last in case I you I really do it. hope Nintendo does it with the Mario Brothers, and then they're like, people are trying to get into drains and stuff. Oh, you got to know there's like what blank go being made with everything right now. Everything. Mario go. Atomic, yeah, Sonic and Hedgehog go. <laughs> RBI baseball go. Uh, in case you missed it, this <laughs> week, Bill Nye, the science guy, mm-hmm. Bill Nye visited the Ark Encounter um, thing that we've been talking about, no. and things got super awkward. How could it not? Yeah, uh, he visited Answers and Genesis' $100 million replica of Noah's Ark last week. Oh. Uh, now, Bill Nye and the Answers and Genesis founder, Ken Ham, have previously had debates about creationism yeah. and evolution, things like that. Um, but Ham explained on Facebook that the most recent meeting was a, quote, clash of worldviews, adding, Bill challenged me about the content of many of our exhibits, and I challenged him about what he claimed and what he believed. They walked through the massive exhibit it together with a crowd following them in a statement bill nye said i spoke with a lot of kids and took a great many selfies almost all of them do not accept that humans are causing climate change and that is the answers in genesis ministries fault uh claiming that they promote quote ideas that are absolutely wrong scientifically while suppressing critical thinking in our students Ham uh, claimed that Nye rejected his offer to talk with the organization's team of scientists, whom he said were, quote, all incompetent. Uh, Things sounded like they got pretty awkward. Uh, Ham said, quote, I did ask him if we could be friends, but he said we would be uh, could be acquaintances with mutual respect, but not friends. Uh, Bill Nye said, on a hopeful note, uh, the parking lots were largely empty and the Ark building is unfinished. We can hope it will close soon. Oh, boy. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah, there's actually I heard there. 
there like a big storms actually stopped the entire thing. Oh, no. Flooding. <laughs> they couldn't, they didn't know what to do. <laughs> That's what kills me is that there's just like a small pond in front of the ark. Did you yeah. notice that? <laughs> like it's on the way. This will make it look bigger. Yeah. Uh, well, that'll do it for. In case you missed it. Okay, so normally right now we would, uh, I'd say, stay tuned up next slices. Right? No, we don't. But mind. not this week. No, too weird. Uh, it's it's just different time constraints, and we're recording at the wrong time, and all this kind of stuff. And, and between, uh, us, between us girls, my slice was terrible this week. Yeah, so we're gonna skip slices, I think, for the first time ever, <laughs> and uh, we're just gonna go right to our incredible guest interview. So stay tuned. Up next, Chuck Klosterman joins us. You made the wise choice. to local natives the song is villainy at the beginning of the podcast you heard the temper trap they're back uh with fall together chuck klosterman is a writer culture critic and the author of nine books including his latest but what if we're wrong uh thinking about the present as if it were in the past Uh, his writing which looks at the deeper messages of pop culture has appeared in outlets like gq esquire and grantland r.i.p and other publications around the world. And he's profiled some of the most famous artists, thinkers, and athletes in the world, including Taylor Swift, Kobe Bryant, Bono, and Jonathan Franson. We recently spoke with Chuck about the importance of humility, the danger of internet culture, and why we should all be open to challenging our idea of truth. Here is part of Jesse's conversation with Chuck Klosterman. We take for granted, and maybe it's sort of like that paradoxical relationship you were talking about between access to information uh, and you know the the harm it has towards discourse because it seems like uh, it currently you know like you said we can back up any position we want, but that's actually that the access to information you would think intuitively would help discourse become more nuanced, but it seems to have the opposite effect. Yes, it does. It does. It, uh, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it, I think part of this might have to do with one thing that has changed in the 20 some years that I've been in journalism is this amplified distrust of objective reporting, which when I started was the main goal of being a journalist was to try to go that, that 
if you went into a story, maybe you had biases, but as a journalist, your job was to be aware of those biases and to compensate for them. And that even though it was impossible to be perfectly objective, the goal was to, to attempt to get close to that. Um, and that has completely shifted in my life. I mean, people don't even want that now. Like, it's not that they'd want it if it was available. They don't want it. They want information that basically supports their pre-existing biases. And uh, I, that, uh, I mean, that really increases the likelihood of being wrong about something big. If you sort of make the conscious or unconscious decision that the only information you want to receive, um, that the only people you want to follow on Facebook and Twitter, and that the only television channels you want to watch are ones that seem to back up how you already feel, it's going to galvanize every thought you have, uh, regardless of how inaccurate it may or may not be. Do, do you see that? Because we write a lot, our publication writes a lot about issues in addition to like pop culture, but also religion and social yeah. issues that seem to be getting, and maybe this is just our perception because we try to take some sort of middle ground, but seem to be getting more dogmatic and polarized. Do you think that uh, that the access to information is ultimately is what is causing that to happen? Well, I don't know if it's causing it, uh, but it's supporting it. I mean, I, what I mean when I say I don't think it's causing it, I don't think that if you give people more information, their automatic reaction will be to take a more extreme, sort of less reasonable position. Yeah. However, if somebody is prone to doing that, if someone is, is just inherently prone to having a very inflexible position, and now you give them a limited amount of data that can be used to augment and support that position. Um, they will, uh, they won't be forced to sort of consider anything else. I mean, that's why, you know, I was talking about the TV news. I just, I do see that as a big problem. You know, like when Fox News came up and MSNBC then came up afterwards and CNN was still there and CNN was, in, in theory, supposed to be sort of the kind of objective middle ground between these two organizations, one leaning right and one leaning left. And, and people just left CNN because they just, they did, they, they, they somehow see that as false. The idea of someone trying to just give information, they just see that as a totally fake thing. Um, and it moved them to these polls and, and those networks succeeded in the, in the one that was objective did not. So I, I mean, it, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. I mean, I, it does seem like the world is more polarized now than at any point in my life. Um, I was talking to somebody about this and they're like, well, you know, you weren't alive in 1968, you know, in 1968, it was, you know, even crazier. Uh, and yeah, I don't know if it was, in some ways, I think that while visually the difference between a conservative in 1968 and a real crazy progressive in 1968, visually they may have looked much different. But I wonder if they were actually closer ideologically than people are now. Yeah. And, I, and that's something you touch on in the in the chapter where you're talking about pre-9-11 conception, yes. you know, ideas about the presidents. It's it's now, you know, the, the gulf seems wide between them. But back then, it's like, oh, this is relatively minor differences here. Well, and, and there's, I think, some sort of history of this that whenever any society is able to exist without conflict, 
the differences in ideologies sort of blend together. So, I mean, like when you look at you know, the eight years Bill Clinton was president, um, that was a great time to be president. I mean, we weren't, we weren't having any, we weren't fighting any wars. The Cold War was over. There was, the economy was good. There were all these, a lot of the problems that seem inherent to being the president were gone. Um, and because of that, the left and the right kind of moved toward the center. And then as soon as 9-11 happened, they split again. And now it feels like there's a lot of conflict happening in the United States, both, uh, you know, uh, internationally, but even just domestically. So the differences seem really stark. One of the ideas you you set up early on is the the concept of you know Klosterman's razor, which the the hypothesis that reflexively accepts the potential wrongness to begin with, and I'm sure everyone to some degree uh, you know does that when when they think about new ideas. But when you started to employ this to the degree that you did for the book, uh, did it has it changed the way that you? approach big ideas and topics and, 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 and things like that? Well, um, I hope it has. I mean, you know, because the thing is, it's, a, it's an easier thing to say than it is to do. Because when you have a big idea, the natural human, human impulse is to keep having that concept confirmed. Like, you know, the idea of confirmation bias, that if you believe something, you will unknowingly start finding information that will support this, you know, uh, because uh, you're already prone to any information that does that. And you're like talking like in, in the section about rock music or whatever, you know, it's like, if somebody said to me, what artist from rock music will still be remembered in 500 years? I would still say, well, the obvious answer is the Beatles. The difference with this book is that I'm saying that I think there's such a history of people being wrong about what seemed obvious. I have to sort of accept that the obvious answer is completely failable. And if it, if it doesn't happen, if the obvious thing doesn't happen, what's the unobvious thing that could replace it? Um, and that is kind of a different kind of thinking because there's, there's something that feels illogical about it. Because like it, with every problem you're saying, whatever seems like the reasonable answer is the first one I have to discard. Um, I mean, that's, so that was, that's like, that was probably philosophically the hardest thing about that, about, about doing this. It's just that any time I, I dealt with a question, the first thing I had to do was sort of isolate what seems like the obvious response and then say, it can't be that though. Beyond for the content of the book, even for like big ideas, like something like, because I, as someone who, like I said, writes a lot about faith and culture as well, I automatically started, you know, thinking about the implications for people of faith. Um, because this is that would be a radical step for them to concede right off the bat, especially in more fundamentalist circles. Did it cause you to think about uh, you or re examine any of your own ideas about? Uh, you know, convictions about faith or politics or things that are, uh, you know, more on the macro scale? It's complicated because, okay, what's the central component of faith? The central component of faith is 
the belief and the acceptance of something inherently can't be proven. I mean, like, it would be obviously very easy to be a religious person uh, if it was easy to physically see God. Yeah. It would be like, there would be no, you know, faith, faith demands that there is an element of irrationality. Yeah. That you're saying that, that, that you believe something that can't, you know, be proven. It's sort of like when, you know, uh, every once in a while you'll see, like, uh, someone will be like, uh, they'll give a speech and it will be called like scientific proof of God or whatever, yeah. you know? Uh, and that's really missing the point of, 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 of religiosity. Yeah, I mean, completely. It's like, you know, yeah. Um, so when you apply that to this, um, okay, we, we look at our culture, right? Most of our culture is to some degree religious or spiritual. Um, you know, um, so that means that, you know, I think, you know, when sometimes you'll see a statistic of the percentage of Americans who believe in the existence of angels, right? Okay, so it's always, it's always a higher number than people think that it will be. They're always surprised by this, you know? Yeah. So in that case, you're looking at something where people are sort of, of believing something that, that can't be proven. So if you apply sort of my philosophy in this book to that, about something like angels. If angels, okay, if the traditional view of angels is wrong, what could explain this belief? Or why would this belief exist? Um, you know, there's a part in the book where I talk about simulation theory, this idea that all of reality is a simulation, that we're living inside of a simulation now. Um, well, uh, that, that in some distant future, somebody has built a computer that's simulating our world and we're self-aware in this world. We don't know we're simulation. We can't re we're not able to tell that what's happening to us is just happening inside the computer. Well, you know, when you think about that possibility, that sort of creates a lot of answers about God. Yeah. I mean, then there is a God, there is someone who created everything in there and uh, things that make no sense to us on the surface, things that are seemingly impossible, those are just sort of bugs in the simulation. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's actually a different way to have a pretty conventional view about spirituality. That section of the book was really interesting. When you were talking back and forth between Brian Greene and and Neil deGrasse Tyson, did you walk away with that more leaning towards any of these for a bit more non-traditional views of reality personally when, when they're talking about the multiverse or you're talking about the simulation theory? Well, it, like I, the main thing that I, I drew from those conversations um weren't that specific. It more had to do with this very central question, which on the one side is that, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson would say that really since the 17th century, science has worked in a different way, and it's not really a flexible, pliable concept. That the scientific method is getting us on this track where everything we learn from here on out is just a refinement of what we knew before and that, that there isn't going to be another huge shift in thinking. Whereas Brian Greene is like, well, the history of ideas sort of suggests that that's going to happen. And at yeah. some point there's going to be a huge shift. Um, so, you know, I mean, because I'm not a scientist, a lot of the specifics of what they talk about 
are interesting to me, but I can't really understand them in any kind of meaningful way. The one thing that I can understand is um, just this problem over hearing information uh, about how the world works and having to choose either to accept it or to accept it with the caveat that it might be totally wrong. I mean, that, that is the thing. It's like, it doesn't, within the world of science now, as we understand it, it seems like the things that are right or wrong are small. The bigger question is if the entire sort of trajectory we're going on is incorrect, you know, and that's an impossible thing to know and an impossible thing to prove because uh, we wouldn't realize it until the shift has happened. Like when they talk about the Copernican revolution, I mean, when something like that happens, uh, uh, it's not built into the way we think. So I mean that that's I mean that's the main thing I took from that section is just I mean okay let's be honest I mean like everything I talk about in this book right we won't really know yeah. for five hundred years or a thousand years so in some respects it's kind of safe so like, I could say anything and like we'll say well oh, a thousand years <laughs> um, uh, uh, but uh, I like thinking about these problems I think it's an enriching thing to wonder how reality is. And, and I, the, so the practicality of this is kind of irrelevant to me. Like if somebody says that they don't like this book because it's not practical enough, I would be fine. I, it's like if that's your art, if that's your yeah. complaint, that there's not, like it's not a, it's not an, it's not a, a self-help book or an instructional manual. Like you don't, you don't, uh, it, that's not the idea. You know? When you started to deconstruct a lot of you know, previously held ideas in, in culture, maybe personally, based on this idea of how the future views the past, were there any conclusions yeah. that you that you ultimately found surprising? I think that when I looked at like there's a section there about politics, and I was really forcing myself to sort of uh, wonder, like are we wrong about the value of democracy? Are we wrong about the value of freedom? It really dawned on me how socialized I have been to never question those ideas. Yeah. Because it was real, it was very hard. Like, it's easy to write, in a way, to just say, like, well, maybe we're wrong about this. Maybe we're wrong about freedom. But when you really think about it, uh, there's just part of your mind that says, no, so this is the best value. This is the most important value. And then you ask yourself, why do I think that? You realize that there's not an answer. It's just something that is so central to being raised in the United States that it's an obstacle toward, you know, an obstacle toward just free thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe, you know, this book, really the last from I would say from basically like from eating a dinosaur to the visible man to I wear the black hat to this one. I think all four of those books are probably tied together by my realization that we can't think whatever we want. And we, we, we tell ourselves we can. We tell ourselves that we have freedom of thought. We really don't. And some of these problems cannot be investigated until you first accept that, that notion. 
that we can't think whatever we want. We have to make ourselves do it sometimes. And I want to I want to respect your time here, but that that's a really interesting point. How do you do that other than forcing yourselves to think in these constructs or like the visible man, you know, is obviously a fictional, you know, a guy goes to extreme lengths to observe people in a way that they don't know they're observed. So like, how does the ever, and maybe that's not an answerable question. Maybe it's too individual. No, it is. I think, I mean, it actually kind of ties back, I think, to what we were talking about earlier. I think that how does one do that? Well, what you have to do is first understand how you feel and then start from the premise that I'm probably wrong about this. So that, that the most, you know, that you have to force yourself to, to, to look essentially in the mirror and say what you believe is untrue. And you believe it so much that it's actually part of your identity. So there's something flawed with your identity. I mean, it is, it's like, you know, it, uh, I don't want to make it seem like it's some sort of you know, painful, transformative thing, but no. I mean, like, in a way, in a way, it's kind of like, this is, I, I, I assume this is kind of part of what philosophy is. It's just start is spending a lot of time understanding how you feel and then trying to work backwards and figure out why you came to that potentially false feeling. That was Chuck Klosterman. Make sure to read the article in the current issue of Relevant. Uh, it's out now. Stay tuned. Up next, Lisa Sharon Harper. Because you gotta Listening to Thomas Dibdahl. The song is History. It's featuring Coucheron. I misspelled probably most of those words. Lisa Sharon Harper is a writer and activist engaging the church in some of the most important justice issues facing communities around the world. Lisa was the founding executive director of the New York Faith of New York Faith and Justice, an organization at the hub of a new ecumenical movement in poverty in New York City. She holds a master's degree in human rights from Columbia University and currently serves as the chief church engagement officer for Sojourners. We recently spoke to Lisa about her new book, The Very Good Gospel, and why the message of scripture is meant to heal a broken world. Here is part of Jesse's conversation with Lisa Sharon Harper. I love the title, A Very Good Gospel. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> can, can you tell me a little, for our audience that may not be familiar with the concept, can you tell, talk about the concept of the book and why you landed on that title in particular? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the book really came out of 13 years of exploration of Genesis. 
Um, and in particular, Genesis 1 through 14, with a real focus on 1 through 3. Um, and that came out of a journey that I took called the Pilgrimage for Reconciliation back in 2003. And I was just really struck at the end of that journey, which we were on the road for four weeks. We, for the first two weeks, we, we went over the Cherokee Trail of Tears um, and retraced the Trail of Tears. If you don't know what that is, that's that's a moment in our history when the American government forced 16,000 Cherokee people to leave their own lands that they had been there for up to 13,000 years. And they were forced to walk 800 miles in the snow mm. um, to Oklahoma, where in the course of that journey, 800 of them, actually, sorry, 4,000 of them died um, in this 800-mile journey. And so we did that for the first two weeks. And then the second two weeks, we we retraced the African experience in America from slavery through civil rights. And I have to say, like, my understanding of the good news of the gospel was really wrapped up in the four laws. I mean, you know, there's lots of different diagrams that we've used over the years. We've used the bridge diagram. We've used um, little circles. But the reality is, is that really when it came down to it, my understanding at that point of, of the good news of the gospel was, you know, uh, God loves me, but I'm sinful, and Jesus died for my sin, and so if I pray this prayer, I get to go to heaven. Like, yeah, very <laughs> formulaic. Nutshell, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, basically, it was, and it was also a very legal construct. It was very linear in its thinking, and and you know, so that, and very simple. But I imagined myself sharing that understanding of the gospel with my own ancestors who had walked the Trail of Tears and who had been enslaved in South Carolina and Kentucky. And I asked myself at the end of that journey, would my understanding of the gospel make them jump up and down and holla because it was so darn good? And I realized I could not share that gospel with them. Yeah. It was mute. It had nothing to say about the lives they were living or the oppression they were experiencing. It was mute. And I realized, man, if my gospel is mute in the face of the worst stuff that ever happened in our land, then maybe it's not so good. Maybe the news is not so good. Maybe it's just not good enough. So that's when I went on this, really, a 13-year journey through Scripture, trying to understand the biblical concept of shalom. And what I've come to understand is that the very goodness of the gospel is really wrapped up in the biblical concept of shalom. God's uh, creation, having been created in relationship with each other, all parts of creation were created in interconnected relationship, and that those relationships are what God declared very good at the end of the sixth day. God said, Tov me'od. This is Tov me'od. And Tov me'od, actually, the, the Tov is, is goodness. And the Hebrews understood the goodness, that, that kind of goodness, to experience, to uh, be located between things, not in the thing itself. And the very is like forcefully good, um, overwhelmingly good, abundantly good, crazy, crazy good, <laughs> right? So... It's that. That is how we were created. That is what we were created for. That kind of connectedness to all things, including God. But our understanding of the gospel in the 20th century especially got reduced down just simply to our relationship with God. And sin 
got reduced to our imperfection within ourselves. But but what I what I what I came to understand is that, you know, if if the very goodness that God was talking about in the very beginning was located between things, then sin is anything that breaks any of those relationships that God declared very good in the very beginning. It's not about necessarily our being imperfect. That's actually a very Greek understanding of sin, you know, missing the mark of perfection and the archery term. Yeah. Right? But but with the Hebrews, they would have understood sin to be anything that breaks relationships that causes separation. The, the practical implications of, of looking at the gospel like this, you know, are, are pretty profound, especially for the modern church, because it seems like so much of the modern church, and I don't want to pray with too broad of a brush, but it seems like there's a, a, a large portion of the modern church that sees the gospel message as something that's primarily post-death, that, you know, it's, you know, we enter into the kingdom after we die is, our, is this reward into the kingdom. Do, do you think that the church has been too focused on that and has had a, a misunderstanding? And, and again, not to paint with too broad of a brush, but I do feel like uh, there is large portions that see the gospel as this uh, uh, ticket to eternal life instead of restoring the kingdom here. Do you feel like that's accurate, that a lot of the church has you know, misrepresented the gospel maybe inadvertently as not something that is for the now but for later? Well, I, you know what it is? So here's, here's what I've really come to believe, is that one's social location in many ways dictates what they can see period Um, one's location one's approach one's position um, dictates what you can see it's like you know if you're looking at an elephant from the front then you think the whole elephant is just the nostril and the nose and that's in the big ears that's it but if you're looking at the elephant from the side you actually see there's much more but if there's one side you only see that one side you don't see the whole right so I, I think that the social location of those who handed us our understanding of the gospel was actually very affluent and not just affluent it was literally the location of governments and nations that oppressed others it really was i mean think about it it was it was that was the social location it was it was the and is actually even today especially in the american church and I think that the reason why we are so disconnected from the scripture is because every single word, every single letter, every single book, every single paragraph, every single writer in the scripture was one person, was a person whose social location was on the underside of oppression. Every single person who wrote the scriptures was oppressed. Every single one. And so. I think that well, that's part of the reason why the body needs all in order to interpret the scripture well, in order to see what, what needs to be seen in scripture. And, and I think that when we have looked at the scripture for the last century, in particular in the American church, we have, and I, I say this generously as an African-American woman, but I'm also an evangelical, right? So I'm, I'm claiming that evangelical heritage, particularly the white evangelical heritage, we have seen the scripture 
from the position of one who lives on top of systems and structures that actually are oppressing people. I mean, this is why, this is why I could get to the end of the pilgrimage for reconciliation that I went on and realize all of this stuff that happened, happened at the hands, by the hands of people who claimed faith in Jesus. feel like that in in recent years you know thanks to i feel like thanks to uh you know the efforts of uh, the black lives matter movement and and a, a lot of different activists there's a lot of people in the evangelical church that have woken up to systemic injustice and things that may they may not even been aware of obviously there's still a, an incredibly long way to go but have you seen progress in the church in recent years uh, in terms of embracing this uh, vision of community that immerses um, you know people of different backgrounds together yes I actually have and I'm mean, so glad that you actually mentioned that because I think that that's actually one of the most profound things that has happened for the church, to the church, for the church, over the last four years. And it really is since the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, and, and that, that even the precursor of that was the Ferguson movement. Um, and I think, that, I think that what happened was young people who were standing on the other side of the police guns, who were on the other side of an over-militarized police, over-militarized police department all over the country, but especially in the Midwest, right, and, um, and in the South, where, um, where they took advantage of that um, policy that was adopted in the 90s to go and buy, you know, these, these police departments then bought at really low cost um, all these military equipment. And so they were, they were basically declaring war on our black communities for decades, and we didn't know it. We didn't realize this. We, as in those who are affluent, who, and I am, I'm among them. I mean, I am a privileged person. I went to college. I have two graduate degrees. You know what I mean? Like, I, I lived, I grew up in the suburbs. I did not grow up in the hood, you know, in a neighborhood. And so, uh, so affluent people, generally speaking, were not, we didn't experience that. So we didn't know what was going on, but it was. And so when the Black Lives Matter and the Ferguson movement in particular movement broke out, it broke out among young people who were experiencing the brunt of that. And, and what I believe that what they did through that mantra, first the hashtag Black Lives Matter and then, you know, hands up, don't shoot. And, and then the, the, the mantra, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, that was shouted, you know, walking down the street after Eric Garner's um, uh, police officer was, was not indicted, right? So the police officer who killed him. When people were, were shouting Black Lives Matter, what they were really doing is that they were, they were calling out the lie by speaking the truth. They were saying, enough is enough. We're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to stand for one more minute of being treated as if we were not made in the image of God. We are. And as such, we have a divine call to exercise dominion. And we have a divine capacity, like anybody else here, to exercise dominion. And here you are telling us that our lives, the very right to live, is not guaranteed by law, by this ruling, and by all of the string of rulings that have happened over the last several years since Michael Brown, actually since Trayvon Martin. There have been very, very few, I mean literally like a handful of cops 
in that in that string of hashtags that have actually been indicted and and um, uh, uh, found guilty, right? So and served jail time. So what the, what does that communicate? Our system is communicating to a whole community that your life does not matter. So I think that what's happened is two things. One, the young people in the streets had had enough and they stood up and they declared, they declared the image of God within themselves without even realizing that's what they were doing. And so they spoke truth to the lie that had been structured around them and in their communities. But something else really happened, too, that was profound, and I saw it. I was part of it, actually, um, when, it, when it was sparked in Ferguson, and I think it it's really has taken hold across the country um, within the evangelical church. Black evangelicals and Latino evangelicals, because of the Ferguson um, uh, movement and, and the Black Lives Matter movement and the movement for immigration reform, Black evangelicals and Latino and immigrant evangelicals have begun to stand up and say, we're not going to take being treated as second-class citizens within our own church. We are now speaking out because what we see happening in the, in the streets with young black people on, you know, at the heads of military, I mean, on the other ends of mili- over-militarized police, we have been experiencing that you know, a lesser level, but a, but a similar kind of oppression within our own churches. We have been silenced. We have not been taken seriously. We have not been promoted. We have experienced that glass ceiling that happens um, because, of, uh, because of unconscious biases within the white church. We have adopted, and some of them are even saying this, we, we are guilty because we adopted a reading of Scripture that was read from the, from the perspective of the oppressor. And now they are rethinking the scripture themselves. They're looking at it anew. And they're, they're beginning to see themselves in the scripture in a way that it was never taught to them in their white churches. So they're pushing back and they're saying no more. And I think that the people who are beginning to, to, to understand this is actually, and really take hold of it and walk with it, move with it, are younger white evangelicals. They, because these are their friends that are pushing. Like these are, these are their friends. Um, who are who are inspired actually by by the nonviolent protest of the Black Lives Matter movement, and and then they are pushing back within their their mostly white denominations, and their white friends within those denominations, particularly the younger ones, are really listening. And I think that I want to say I hope that that among older white evangelicals, um, and maybe not even just white, but older evangelicals at large, um, that there's a listening, there's a posture. I know there was two years ago when everything broke with um, with Michael Brown. I, I got all kinds of phone calls from from leaders of different evangelical movements who were saying, Lisa, I don't know how to interpret this. Can you help me? These people had never had me on their stage, you know, to this day. <laughs> and then, you know, most people never know that we're connected. But they were calling. They were calling saying, help me to understand because I don't have a clue what's happening here. And so I think that many of, of, of even those folks um, have been doing a lot of question answering and asking over the last two to three years. And, um, and you know, I think that the results, the, revo- the results vary. I mean, some of them have really stuck with it because that's what it takes. And others have gone back to comfort, right? 
and um, gone back to securing their place in the world rather than actually trying to secure a better world. That was Lisa Sharon Harper. Make sure to check out her new book, The Very Good Gospel. It's out now. Take me to the cliff stars, boy, hearts of sound, you're shaking. I walk close to the edge with this boy without a name, I'll try to save him. Take me to the cliff stars, boy, hearts of sound, you're shaking. Listening to Lapsley. The song is Cliff uh, from her new album. Uh, make sure to check out the feature on Lapsley in the current issue of Relevant. It's really, she has a fascinating story. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Uh, I, I didn't listen to the live show because I experienced it. And so I don't know if we have any corrections and apologies. Usually when I listen later, I'll go, ooh. Okay, so nobody called us out for anything. <laughs> no, they I had felt grace like- for us. Well, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. you need to apologize for the spoilers. I, I would like to say publicly that I do not apologize. <laughs> and uh, not only that, on Twitter, you doubled down and you started spoiling more stuff. Oh, yeah. I it, almost had to block you. <laughs> You're out of control. I, it was really like he just, I, I was I was saying nothing. And then he made his little comment and I was like, well, gloves are off now. <laughs> Plus, I was proving my own slice. Right. I was just using, I was just burying out the statistics. That's I mean, true. It's how long has that show been over? House yeah. of Cards is. I mean, they're still making. Not them. over, but the last season. Oh, yeah, I mean, we've had true. we've had ample time to figure out. Yeah, I was about to say it. I was about to give you the ultimate spoiler. Please that would don't. literally just make you delete Netflix. <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> uh, so there you go. So that's our non-apology uh, from Eddie. Um, <laughs> Everybody's really shocked right now that I didn't do that. It's time for your feedback. Uh, last week uh, for the question of the week, we asked you to send us your street humor prank ideas, and we'll pi- we'll actually pick a few of these to try and do in real life or get all of y'all to do them. Uh, you guys went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com, and you also hit us up on twitter at realm podcast with your street humor prank ideas here are a few of our favorites all right so kylie danielle commented no 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 kyle oh, no yeah i think he goes by kylie my wife went shot i am so sorry to whoever wrote this <laughs> like i am genuinely sorry i'm very embarrassed right now that i just messed up your name my my fault anyhow said my wife went shopping over the weekend in St. Louis with my mom and sister-in-law when they were leaving the restaurant where they had just eaten lunch. My wife noticed something taped to the driver's side door handle. It was a t- <laughs> it was a tiny strip of paper that read. I'm concerned about the llamas upon further inspection. They discovered that all of the cars in the parking lot had the same message taped to them in different places. I'm not 100% sure this was street humor, but I'll let you be the judge. I it's it is a thing that's on a street. It is street humor. That is really, really funny. That is funny. 
I wonder how many people went home and just like Googled, is there a llama problem? <laughs> right, or that phrase. I feel like I'm the only person that can read this one. Uh, it, Adam Brown said, every time I pass a small farm stand with a sign that says fresh eggs, I think it would be funny <laughs> to add a sign underneath it that says, ask Betty. We also sell chicken eggs. <laughs> As a woman in her mid-30s who wonders if her eggs are drying up, that's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, too, too soon. Uh, at age 26 and a half women's eggs start drying okay up. all fact. right shame i okay next thing <laughs> I, hey, i'm going to have i gotta represent okay can you somehow pause her just because it makes you uncomfortable you guys doesn't mean we can't talk about it <clears throat> okay. let's go back to talk about pokemon Sh- shane said <laughs> shane hoffman and uh shane hoffman said i've always wanted to change the welcome signs when you enter a city which i think is just a great little like what Oh, well, the example Shane used was we've had so many earthquakes here in Oklahoma lately that it would be fun to write, welcome to Stillwater, where the people and ground make you crack up. But I I do, (laughs) like, I don't know what it is, but like in Winter Park, it always says, please drive with extraordinary care. Yeah. There feels like there's a joke there. Yeah. Right. It feels (laughs) like there's something to just get a batch of stickers so that you just drive around. Yeah. Get the same font and everything and just like cover up a couple of the words with something else. I always think it's hilarious when people do public vandalism humorous public vandalism is really fantastic (laughs) yeah i agree yeah uh well there's a bunch more if you want to chime in uh we'll have to confer with jesse on what we end up doing because inevitably it'll be jesse doing it yeah so oh no um, this is yeah so okay it's time for this week's editorial question of the week okay so you know obviously pokemon go i mean like every like jimmy fallon has a great story yeah Uh, people are getting hit by cars yeah i feel like we got like there's everybody's encountering people who are doing weird things because of pokemon go that's not that great a story the hitting getting hit by a car yeah i mean i'm just bringing the jesse element right now to the show (laughs) these are still real people (laughs) these are still real people so we want to know your uh most interesting or craziest uh, pokemon go story so far uh you can hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can post yours on the podcast episode page. I, I will say. Well, and I'm. Joy, Joy go ahead. I'm curious. I will say that. It, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a joke, Joy. I really will be quiet this oh, time. I go know. ahead. I know. I was waiting for it. Um, I'm curious to know if people are pro or con, because of course I thought it was really dumb when I first heard about it. But one, in, in like a non creepy way, you realize that people are out in their communities and they are starting to talk to people that they would normally probably walk by. And just the physical activity, instead of kids sitting at home, or kids, myself, playing a video game, you're out walking around. Are, so it's exercise. Are there, are there, but you're staring at your screen the whole time. I haven't downloaded it yet. So, I mean, you're no, talking but when you to people. You get to those levels where you can go to the gyms or whatever they are, you interact with people. And like, we walked by that guy, then around the corner, there was a, a group of kids like doing something, like, getting something out of their trunk and at first we thought oh they're playing pokemon go then we're like oh no they're just regular students here and then one of them had a pokemon hat on and we're like yep we we could talk to them right you now can, about you can this. definitely tell when you see someone at 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 the place that they're doing the same thing that you're there to do they're like they're because you make eye reason. contact yeah you're like you, you? josh molina <laughs> wrote you remember josh molina from the west wing and he's on scandal now he's an actor he wrote a funny tweet he said i was playing pokemon go and nothing happened because eyes like that's right. <laughs> Just look around. People are falling off. Cli- like people fell off a cliff. Are you serious? Oh yeah. Well, th- hey, that's you could call in or write into 
a question of the week and tell that story. No, I believe it was on your website. Oh. I believe it was on Relevant. <laughs> I think I just saw it. It's a follow cliff. Anyway, hilarious so, stories, but not hilarious the, stories. but not the death ones. Well, on that note, uh, we <laughs> will note. wrap things up. Uh, many thanks to uh, our show sponsor, Israel. Uh, go to Israel.travel and discover the side of Israel you've never seen. I'm telling you, go check it out. It's phenomenal. Everybody should go to Israel. I, I'm saying that just as a personal experience. It's something everybody should do at some point. I would really like to go to Israel. Yeah, let's do it. Many thanks to our guests. Uh, Chuck Listerman, make sure to check out his new book, But What If We're Wrong? It's a fascinating look at truth and what we know to be true and uh, makes you kind of rethink everything. Uh, thanks also to Lisa Sharon Harper, uh, one of our favorite authors. You can uh, follow her on Twitter at Lisa Sharper. Um, <laughs> and her book is The Very Good Gospel. Go pick it up. And uh, subscribe now. Relevant Magazine, our, we're working on our, our September issue. It's in design now. Uh, it, it's shaping up to be one of the best. It's, it's, it's going to be a great uh, issue. So if you subscribe now at relevantmagazine.com, you'll uh, definitely get it. And the new issue with Andre Day on the cover yeah. is uh, out now. It's on newsstands nationwide. Go check it out. I think you'll like it. Yes. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Koffoltz. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Joy Gertrude. And uh, we'll, they'll see you next week. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be on a boat with my kid. But I may call in and check in on you guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jess will be back. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Connect with us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast, and get bonus material from this episode and more at the podcast section on relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check the magazine out. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Come with me.